about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. The first Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 56. Um, and that's on page 733 of the Pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 1 to 8. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Uh, second reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 8, and you can find that on page 1086 of the Pew Bibles. Starting at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, 
Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, my name's Roger. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great opportunity we have of coming to your word this evening. We ask that you would speak to us, uh, that you would change us, and that you would transform us as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for a while, what we've been doing is travelling through the book of Acts, and we've been thinking about what Jesus is doing now. And over the last few chapters, we've been exploring what it mean, means for the Holy Spirit to be at work in people's lives, but the truth is, it's largely been a Jewish affair. Uh, it's largely been about Jews coming to know Jesus, uh, in their thousands actually, um, and it's largely been about how that is taking place and how the first church has been established. The significance of that is that it's not the only thing that Jesus is on about in terms of establishing his mission, in terms of what he's doing now. Uh, if you might remember, way back in, Acts, in Luke chapter 20, 24, we saw at the end of that book, which is the first half of Luke and Acts, uh, what we discover is that there's a grander vision, a vision that all nations will believe. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we heard again that um, people are being invited to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The vision is broad and large and includes all nations. And then in the very first sermon to the Christian church, we hear languages being spoken of many different nations in Acts chapter 2. And so the vision is much broader than just the people who are gathered, the people of Israel. Now, up until this, until this point, nothing much has happened in that light. Uh, true, in chapter 8, Stephen has been um, stoned, and as a result of that, there's been persecution, and people have spread out abroad. But really, this part of the mission hasn't been established. And so tonight, we start to see that that develops we start to see the spread of this mission and what Jesus is doing well beyond Jerusalem and further, even to the Gentiles, which is kind of an unexpected twist for many of those who first came to know and love Jesus. And so tonight, as we look at this passage, uh, the first half of the passage, I want to think about the idea that it takes the work of the Spirit to be radically inclusive. And then secondly, that being truly inclusive does not leave people unchanged. So come with me to chapter 8 as we consider together uh, what is taking place and as we consider a road trip with an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, it's a pretty interesting kind of part of the Bible, an Ethiopian eunuch, but we'll explore that together and start to think about what's happening here. 
Well, as we come to this passage, what we find is Philip has been told to go south. Now, he's actually been ordered to. It's like he's been shoved in that direction. He's pushed in that direction. And he's been told to go south by an angel of the Lord. And as he goes south, he's not told why he's going south, but he's told to go south, and he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, it turns out that this Ethiopian eunuch is an important official in charge of the treasury of the Queen of Ethiopia. And, of course, eunuchs used to perform that role over many, many years um, and in different centuries. In fact, someone like Daniel in the Old Testament is often considered to be a eunuch and performing in those kinds of ways as well. They were trusted people, but they were people who had a special role within the court. Now, what's interesting about this man who is an African, so therefore he's dark. He's a high official, but he's also been to Jerusalem to worship. Now that's a really unusual thing for him to do. He's had to travel many, many miles to get there. And as he's gone there, he's got to the temple courts, and when he got there, he would have been turned away. Because we read in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, these words about eunuchs. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. It sounds pretty horrible, doesn't it? But no one who's been maimed in that way can enter the courts of the Lord. And so he would have come to the courts, having travelled all that distance... He wouldn't have been allowed to speak. He wouldn't have allowed to be enter. He would have been not included. And yet he's been reading this book of Isaiah as we go on to discover. Now Philip has been pushed in that direction and he finds this eunuch and the spirit says to him, go to that chariot and stay near it. It's not something that Philip would have woken up that day thinking, oh, that's what today is going to hold. I'm going to find myself in the desert with an Ethiopian eunuch. It's something that he's been pushed to do and the Spirit of God has been working him to go there. It's kind of a reluctant thing that he's done. It's not something that he's embraced and said, yes, let's go that direction. And it's worth thinking about, well, what's going on here? How come there has been this reluctance to go beyond uh, where they've been? How come there's this reluctance to reach out and to be obedient to what Jesus' call has been to go to all nations? Well, I think it's worth reflecting theologically on what's taking place here. One of the sub-themes of this whole passage is the idea of identity and where you find your identity. And I think that's what's taking place here as well. When your identity is not based on Christ, it's hard to be radically inclusive. When your identity is based in your Jewishness, for example, you exclude other people. Uh, in our context, when your identity is found in your achievement, when you're trying to get ahead and do better at work or at, at uni or whatever circumstances you find yourselves in, one of the ways you do that is to exclude other people, to push other people aside so that your identity becomes found in your achievements 
which means necessarily excluding other people. The same sort of thing happens when we think about um, the idea of being progressive. As you become, as you identify with being progressive, you start to say, well, those people over there are not progressive. They don't identify with what it means to be sexually progressive or politically progressive or environmentally progressive. And so those people are over there and this is me. I identify in this way. This is my identity. The cross, however, what Jesus does on the cross for us is change the structure of our identity. And one of the changes, one of the ways we can notice that change is that we become radically inclusive. What do I mean by that? Well, we start relating to people who we don't normally relate to. And the reason for that is we start to understand who we are in Christ, that we have received God's grace and God's mercy and that we didn't deserve it. That it's not because of anything we've done that God's reached out to us. We don't deserve to be embraced by his love. We're just thankful that we have been embraced by his love and his mercy and his grace. And so that when we meet anybody, anywhere, we're able to say, well, actually, I'm not better than you. My identity is not found in excluding you. It's found in Christ. And in Christ, I'm no better than anybody else. Because it's God's grace and mercy that has reached out to me. And I've done nothing about that. And so it means our attitude and our identity starts to shift as we start to think about what does that mean to be radically inclusive. Now, I'm not saying that it's particularly easy. I remember my dear old mum saying um, on a number of occasions, God has called me to be radically inclusive of this person and I'm certainly going to need the work of the Spirit in my life to make that happen (laughs) because it's not very easy to love that person. But because I'm in Christ, that is what I'm called to do. And that's what's taking place with Philip here. He's starting to understand what it is to be identified with Christ and to be radically inclusive of this man who is an Ethiopian eunuch, someone he would never have thought of relating to. I think it takes a work of the Spirit, a work of God in our lives to make us that radically inclusive. And if you find yourself not being that radically inclusive, can I suggest that you pray and you say to God, can you make me radically inclusive in the way I include other people, I speak to other people? Can you help my identity be found in Christ so that I might live out what he's called me to be and to do. Second point, though, we're making this evening is that to be radically inclusive does not leave people unchanged. Now, this is a bit tricky for us because we often include the idea of being inclusive with the idea of being tolerant. Inclusive means, uh, in many ways for us, the idea of tolerating every point of view as being valid. And so if you're inclusive, you just say, well, we're all the same and we just include everybody's points of view and it doesn't really matter. 
That's a particular kind of tolerance that I actually don't think works. When you have such competing ideas, it's impossible to have a group of people together in that kind of tolerance. When you believe completely different things about society and the way it should look, that's, that kind of tolerance actually doesn't work. Just this weekend, we heard in Ireland uh, the voting in of the opportunity for abortion to take place. There are competing values there. And you can imagine that people on different sides of that think very, very different things. Uh, and what does tolerance look like in that sense? Well, I think a helpful way forward is something that John Dixon says when he talks about tolerance in this way. Tolerance does not involve accepting every viewpoint as true and valid. It means treating with love and humility someone whose opinions you believe to be untrue and invalid. That's a different kind of tolerance. It's a different kind of inclusion. It's a different way of including people. It's a stance towards others that is humble and that is in love but doesn't necessarily mean you agree with the stance that they take. And in fact, if you're a Christian person, if you're going to be humble and love another person, your great hope is that they will not remain unchanged. Because you want them to grow and find their identity in Christ. You will want to see them grow and change and embrace what it means to find their freedom in Christ. And so we see that starting to develop as we come to this Ethiopian eunuch. Philip runs up by the chariot. Now, if you have in mind the chariot of being a kind of all these horses and this chariot on the back and, and somehow Philip's running a marathon at this point, that's probably the wrong picture. It's probably some oxen behind, with a cart behind and they're sort of trundling along. So this is actually not that difficult for, to Philip, for Philip to catch up. And he overhears the eunuch uh, reading through Isaiah. And he simply says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I? Can someone explain it? Do, do you want to come and sit with me? and see if you can explain it to me. Now, the beauty of that moment, of course, is that Philip is just being curious. He's just noticing what's going on, and he's being available to be used by God in that, that moment, that, that, that kind of amazing moment where he overhears someone reading Isaiah. And so what does Philip do? He starts explaining things. This is the passage of Scripture that the eunuch was reading. We'll come back to that passage in a moment, but it's interesting that that particular passage has been used. And what we need to understand is that as um, the eunuch is reading this passage, he's also been reading the rest of Isaiah. Um, it, it's actually quite extraordinary that the eunuch actually has the book of Isaiah, that he's educated enough to be able to read it, but he actually has his own book. That would have been an extraordinary thing in itself. And no doubt he would have been reading Isaiah for a long time. He's been on a very long journey to Jerusalem. And he's been pondering. It's, it's, it's driven him to Jerusalem. And so he's been pondering these things for a while. And so even though he's reading this specific passage at the time, it comes in a context. 
And when you go back to Isaiah and you start to understand what's taking place, you see the kind of context it's in. The context is in in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. And this is what we hear unfolding in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. In Isaiah chapter 52, we hear the claim that there is going to be a suffering servant. And that suffering servant will finally be exalted and his exaltation, his glory, will benefit all the nations. As Isaiah 52 turns into Isaiah 53, all of a sudden unfolding is this idea that this suffering servant will be rejected and despised. But the incredible story that starts to unfold is that this person who is rejected and despised will be punished for God by our transgressions. Then as the passage unfolds, we come to this particular section in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 to 9. We'll come back to that in a moment. And then as the passage concludes in Isaiah chapter 53 we find out that this suffering servant dies and is an offering for sin to justify many and bear their iniquities. It's actually a beautiful picture of God's grace and what he's doing through Jesus. God's desire to reach out to us and say to us, you have sinned against me and against one another and I'm going to send someone who deals with the punishment that you deserve. That is the suffering servant. And so you can imagine Philip, as he hears this, goes, wow, this is going to be easy to point to Jesus because this is all about Jesus. And you hear that. This very passage of Scripture told him the good news about Jesus. He was able to say, this is all about Jesus. This has actually happened. Now, before we come back to the passage, just one more thing. Okay, just one more thing before we come to the actual words here. The other thing he would have no doubt been aware of is the passage we read earlier in the service. And that's the passage from Isaiah chapter 56. He's a eunuch. He would have been very aware of this passage as he read through Isaiah. And look at the kinds of things that it says. It talks about the inclusion of the eunuch. It talks about the idea that the eunuch will receive a name better than sons and daughters, that the eunuch will be included in the temple. He must have been wondering, how is that possible? How, how, how could that happen? So with the context, the broader context in mind, and with the specific context in mind, let's go back to the passage and see what it says. Uh, here in Isaiah chapter 53, we read, He was led like a sheep to a slaughter. And a lamb before his shearer is silent. You can imagine the eunuch sitting there and thinking, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be silent, to not open my mouth, to be silenced actually in the temple courts, to not really have a voice. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. It's actually hard to say how the eunuch came to be who he was. But perhaps that's his experience as well. 
Who can speak of his descendants? Well, of course, the eunuch will have no descendants. And in that particular time, in that particular culture, to not have descendants was significant. It said something about your identity. It meant that you could be excluded, not included. And so it's no wonder that these words are standing out to him. But what we've learnt from that passage that we've just looked at is that through Jesus' death and through Jesus' resurrection, this eunuch will be offered something wonderful. It's a radical inclusion. He will be included. The Lord will surely include him. The eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give my temple and its walls. Remember, he couldn't walk into the temple courtyards. And all of a sudden he's being welcomed in. He has no descendants, but actually there's huge hope. A memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. What you will have is even better than having descendants. It will be greater, it will be more magnificent than having descendants. You will have a name that I will give you. You will be welcome into my courts. I will know you. You will be mine. And you will have joy in my house of prayer. Can you imagine just how that would have resonated with this eunuch? How transformative it would have been to hear that this was possible. That his identity that had been based in being a eunuch was no longer important. But that was what was really important was what Jesus had done for him on the cross. And as a result of Jesus' death on the cross, he had a new identity. He was being given a new identity, a new future, a new hope. It's just so beautiful. It's beyond your imagination. Can you imagine him traveling along and starting to realize, wow, God has this plan for me. He's going to deal with me. And so it's not surprising to see the eunuch asking for baptism. He goes on, and as they travel along the road, they come to some water. And he said, is there any problem with me getting baptised? Is there any problem with me dying to my old self and being raised in Christ? Is there any problem with me putting off my old self and putting on a new self? Is there any problem with me living to Christ, not to myself? And of course, Philip says, no, no problem at all. Let me take you and baptise you. But look what he does in the end. The man who was silent, the man who could not speak in the temple courts, the man who's been welcomed into the temple, given a new name, what does he do? 
he goes on his way rejoicing and giving thanks. Exactly what that passage in Isaiah said. They will sing for joy. They will be rejoicing because of what Christ has done. Now, can you imagine how that reshapes his identity and who he is? How it makes him a person who's completely different because he's heard the good news of Jesus. And so on this road trip with the Ethiopian eunuch, we see that it takes the work of the Spirit to be radically inclusive. But once included, a person is not left unchanged. A person is transformed by the love of Christ and finds a new identity in him. And I want to suggest to you, to the extent that we understand that for ourselves, to the extent that we understand what God has done for us, that we too have been rescued, that we too need his mercy, that we too are broken-hearted, is the extent to which we too can be radically inclusive and we too can speak into other people's lives in order that they too might hear this beautiful and wonderful message of transformation. That your identity can be found in Christ. And he is the one to be worshipped and thanked. Thank. Thank. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.